read a passage of scripture that is a continuation of our story in the book of Acts. It's not going to be on the overhead because I'm not preaching today. Somebody far greater and more qualified is. My wife Colleen's going to share today. But she's going to share based on the scripture that I'm about to read. So we know that Paul has been on this missionary journey. He's with Barnabas, and uh, Luke seems to be with him based on the way it's being written. And um, we know that Titus is along as well. And so they're going throughout the Mediterranean, visiting the churches that uh, Paul had been at before. And um, they're visiting these places, and basically they're talking to the uh, churches there about the good news um, of what had been discussed at the Jerusalem Council, which was that whole talk about the circumcision. And I'm sure it came as quite a relief to the Gentiles that they were not going to be required to be circumcised as grown men. Um, good news, indeed. Um, but uh, this was all part and couched in the discussion, uh, couched in the discussion of, of Christian freedom and the freedom that we have in Christ. So uh, I, I need to correct myself. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have split up now, and Paul um, uh, is um, not no longer with Barnabas on this trip. Chapter 16, I just want you to listen. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Uh, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from pre preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. An interesting statement, isn't it? I'll just read that little section again. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to a place called Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. <coughs> On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there, and one of those listening was a woman of the city of Theatra named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord Jesus, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I knew that uh, Colleen had led a Bible study on a book um, called Plan B. And I knew it related to what Paul is experiencing right now on this missionary journey of being prevented from doing what they thought they were supposed to do. And so I'm going to ask Colleen to come up and share some of what she learned in that lesson. This is actually really good uh, timing because normally I'd be really nervous, but I was so nervous about playing the piano for that <laughs> that I was relieved now that that's so, Now I'm feeling pretty relaxed. <laughs> so the passage that Tim just read in Acts 16 speaks of God blocking Paul's plans and eventually redirecting him. And I know that we've all experienced times when our plans and dreams have not worked out the way we thought they would or the way that we hoped. And God seems to shut the door and lead us in another direction eventually. And we might refer to that as plan B, our plan B, or God's plan B. And that is, as Tim said, the title of this book by Pete Wilson. Um, I had the privilege a few years ago of leading a book study uh, with a group of women uh, through this book, we read through this book, it's a very powerful book about what to do when you, God doesn't show up the way you thought he would. So Tim asked me to share a little from this book as it relates to uh, Paul's experience in Acts 16. And uh, Pete Wilson draws on real life stories from the Bible. He uses uh, the life of David and Mary and Martha and Joseph. Um, to remind us that God is at work even when we face disappointments. So I chose just to talk a little bit about what I learned from this, uh, what Pete Wilson says about Joseph. And uh, in, uh, he talks about Joseph being a poster child for whiplash, for when your life seems to go from one good news story to a bad news story and back and forth. And just to kind of review what happened to Joseph in Genesis 37, <coughs> It starts out where he was his dad's favorite son. And you'd think that would be good news, but actually that was bad news because his brothers ended up hating him, being jealous of him. And then Joseph got this beautiful coat from his dad. So you'd think that'd be good news, but it made his brothers hate him even more. And, and they eventually beat him up and threw him in a pit and planned to kill him. Well, the good news was that his brothers changed that plan and they decided not to follow through with killing him, but instead they sold him into slavery. And Joseph got um, a job with Potiphar in e Egypt, so things were looking up. But then the bad news. 
Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and makes up a story about him trying to rape her, and Joseph ends up in prison. Well, the good news while he's in prison is that he makes a friend who promises that he will, be, he will get him out. But the bad news is his friend gets out and forgets all about him. So how many of us can relate to that in our lives, where events seem to be going smoothly, and then all of a sudden the bottom falls out, and we, plant, we, we find ourselves facing a plan B. So I'm just going to read an excerpt from what Pete Wilson says, because he puts it well. What do you think our response is to be when we go from the good news part of life into the bad news season, where everything seems to be falling apart, from our desired plan A into a plan B we never asked for and don't want. I think there is a question that can lead us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God if we have the guts to ask it. The question is this, what would you do if you were absolutely confident God was with you? Say your marriage is unraveling and you're hitting the panic button. What would you do if you were confident God was with you? Or what if your kids are running from God and you're losing sleep each night worrying about them? What would you do if you're confident God was with you? Or suppose you go to the doctor to check out a few annoying symptoms only to find that you have multiple, multiple sclerosis. What would you do if you were confident God was with you? The point, simply this, when you respond in your current circumstances as if you were confident that God is there, you will see God in the circumstances, maybe not immediately, but eventually. Because the simple truth is that God is there. God is always there. The problem comes when we allow our circumstances to distort our perspective and we miss God. That happens so easily when we're reeling from bad news in our lives. There is nothing like the whiplash of a painful situation to leave us feeling like God is a million miles away. I bet this is how David felt when he wrote this psalm. I thirst for the living God. When can I go to meet with him? Day and night, my tears have been my food. People are always saying, where is your God? When I remember these things, I speak with a broken heart. I used to walk with the crowd and lead them to God's temple with songs of praise. And imagine how Joseph must have felt sitting in the bottom of the pit. Can you imagine the pain of rejection he felt as a result of the violent and vicious act committed against him by his own brothers? He couldn't help it that his brothers were so jealous of him. Well, maybe he was a little spoiled, but still, he didn't deserve this. He had to be lonely, scared, and full of questions. I mean, if God really cared about me, would I be here right now? He had to be banging his head up against the side of the pit, moaning, why me, why me? You've been there, right? Not necessarily in the bottom of a pit, but you know that why me feeling. You've been lying in bed late at night, staring at the ceiling, asking, why me? You may have been in that lonely place where you scream, God, where are you? Why aren't you listening? Why have you abandoned me? When life isn't turning out the way we had hoped, we almost always default to feeling as if God has abandoned us. We may not like to admit it. It makes us feel petty and immature. But it's the truth, isn't it? Don't we tend to wrap our own plans, our dreams, and our desires around our concept of God's presence? So that when our plans and dreams and desires are frustrated, we assume that God is just not there anymore. When our plans, dreams, and desires crumble, our faith tends to take a hit. We instantly feel let down and distant from our Heavenly Father. 
And yet the truth is that God is most powerfully present even when he seems most apparently absent. He's always working. Even when we can't see him or feel him, all the circumstantial evidence of our lives will testify to his presence. That is, if we are willing to pay attention. So when our plans fail and things don't turn out the way we expect, it does feel like God is a million miles away and that he's abandoned us. Sometimes it's hard to see God working in the midst of his plan B. But if we take a look back at Joseph's story, throughout the story of Joseph and all his disappointments, it says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. How can that be? He's been beaten, betrayed by his brothers, accused of doing something he didn't do, and wrongfully thrown into prison. We might expect that God would have rewarded Joseph for showing, showing such strong character when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. We'd think if God is ever going to reward faithfulness in the midst of, of a shattered dream, it's going to be now. But Genesis states, so Potiphar arrested Joseph and put him into prison where the king's prisoners were put. And Joseph stayed there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. So I found this to be a great reminder to me that when life isn't perfect and when things aren't going the way we plan, God is with us. Even though life is certainly not turning out the way he assumed it would, Joseph made a, um, a choice to respond in all those circumstances as if God was with him. We know this because in Genesis it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So the master notices something about Joseph, something that speaks of God's favor, and he promotes him. Joseph chose to live his life confident that God was with him. Even though God doesn't necessarily take away our pain or solve our problems or answer our many questions, we can know that God knows what's going on in our lives, and we have not been forgotten or abandoned. And I'm just going to read one other excerpt from Pete Wilson's book. I think Joseph has that same knowledge to comfort him while he's still hanging out in that Egyptian jail. He doesn't know how things are going to work out. He doesn't have any delusions that his good deeds will be rewarded. He's learned better than that. He has no idea how long it will take for God to work things out. I mean, he's already waited years and years, and he's still sitting in the jailhouse. But Joseph knows his dad. He knows his character. And that brings Joseph not only comfort, but hope. Joseph has faith that God is with him. And I think Joseph has faith that God is going to work something out for him. Not because he deserves it, and not necessarily the way he thinks it should happen, but in the best way possible. How do I know that for sure? I don't. There's no verse showing what Joseph is thinking while his rear end is parked in that jail. But I get a pretty good clue in what Joseph says at the very end of the story. You see, it took some time, but eventually everything worked out for Joseph. In fact, it turned out great. But God's plans involved a lot more than getting Joseph out of slavery or getting him a cushy job or getting him out of jail for something he didn't do. It involved a lot more than what Joseph wanted or needed in any given moment. Here's a quick rundown of what happened. 
Eventually, the Pharaoh's butler does remember Joseph right after Pharaoh has a dream that needs interpreting. The butler recommends Joseph as a dream interpreter, and Joseph's able to interpret the dream correctly, it concerned a coming famine, and gives some advice to store up food for the famine, so he is eventually put in charge of following his own advice. That means he is the highest official in Egypt. And Joseph is right there in his official position when his very own brothers, the ones who had beaten him and sold him, come begging for food. After messing with their heads a little, hey, he was entitled, Joseph forgives his brothers and has them bring the whole family to Egypt. In the process, as we read later in the Bible, he manages to save his entire people from destruction, but that's another story. And once they're all together again, he sums up the whole good news, bad news story of his life by telling his brothers what he kept on believing for so many years. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And get this, because it's important too. None of this happened for Joseph because he was good. None of it happened because Joseph asked and God was obliged to answer. It happened because God knew what he was doing with Joseph's life, even when Joseph didn't have a clue. In those times, when everything seemed to be going wrong and, could, and he could see no end in sight for his troubles, Joseph managed to keep hanging on to that. And that's something you can hold on to when in those plan B times you just can't see an end to all your, your troubles. He knows what you're going through. He's right beside you, sharing your pain, even though he may not take it away. And he knows what he's doing with your life, even if you don't. Will you pause for just a moment and allow that truth to sink in? Let it ease your mind and your heart. Let it bring you strength and courage and peace and comfort. God is with you right now, right this moment, no matter how you feel. Thanks, Colleen. So we have the Apostle Paul with his companions. And their intentions obviously are great. <laughs> They're concerned about the people in Asia. They want to go there. They want to spread the gospel. They just want to continue to do the work that they were called to do. And then we find these words that... Uh, when they came to the boarding mission, they, were try, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And so I'm thinking, what runs through my head when things like that happen? When I'm prevented from doing the very thing that I think is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. It just makes sense. Quite often in my thinking, um, I start to think about, I've screwed up somehow. <laughs> Like, I did something wrong, right? This is, this is on me, you know? And, you know, Satan loves that because he likes to bash us. And so he kind of piles on, you know, oh, yeah, you should have done this and you should have done that and you're not this and you're not that. And, you're, and, and there's this sense of condemnation that, that can come out. But the fact of the matter is that um, God prevented and prevents these things for reasons that we just simply don't understand. And, and I think that that is what I want to just leave you with. I want to leave just four scriptures that I think are really critical with this idea of um, plan B. 
and not understanding what's going on. And I think that they will, as Pete Wilson's words, really should encourage us and be reassuring to us that um, we don't have to just assume that it's bad when we're faced with something that prevents us from doing the very thing that we think is the thing that we're supposed to do, that God is still in control. And don't just assume all the bad that we often do. So four quick passages that you're all familiar with, but I want to remind you of. And first is uh, from Isaiah 55, verse 8. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So it should not be a shock to us that our plans, as well-intentioned as they may be, may not be God's plans. And we may hit a barrier and might be prevented. The second one is the fact that we don't really see things as clearly as we should. If we look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, I love this image. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We read these words. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know more fully, even as I am fully known. And so we have this reality that God's ways are in our ways, and his thoughts are in our thoughts. And we have only a partial view of his ways, even. So we don't have the same picture uh, and, and the reflection there, the idea there is that like they didn't have the nice mirrors that we have now. The mirrors would, would be something that would just really give a poor reflection. It wasn't really clear um, in those days what you were what you're looking at, just sort of a, an, an image. And the thing is that um, we don't have the full picture and we don't see very well. And then John and Timmy has shared, um, I, I think probably... Well, I know it's, it's a verse that means a lot to us because it was actually, it's the basis of the verse that, or uh, it's the basis or the verse upon which the camp that we worked at and that we know Jackie through uh, was based. And it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In other words, you know, you're going to get it wrong. Okay? And in all your, all your ways, however, just, you know, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge that he does have things under control, and he will lead your path. And I see that that's what happened in this instance. I think of Lydia, right? Lydia is the, 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 the purveyor of purple cloth <laughs> who came to know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior because Paul was prevented from going somewhere else, and plan B was to go to her hometown. And that's where she found Jesus, because of God doing what he did to prevent Paul from going to Asia. 
And then, and this is this is the bedrock. I really don't, you know, as a pastor, you get asked to come and pray with people that are, well, either ill or struggling with one thing or another, and they, they really don't know. And, and, and the thing is, you know, as a pastor, I don't know either, <laughs> right? And, and I don't have, you know, God's specific words sometimes for people that, you know, you should really do this or you should really do that. But one of the things that, 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 that I think that we have to be certain in, and this is what uh, Mr. Wilson is talking about as well, is that um, as we read in Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That's what you have to have faith in. That's what you have to hold on to. Okay, so 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 God's ways aren't our ways. We, we, and, and we only see him kind of poorly, right? And, uh, you know, all we can do is just, just trust him and, and he'll, he'll lead our path. But then we also have to recognize that even in the things that seem to be plan B's, not plan A, not what you wanted first and foremost in your life, but this plan B is the good that God is working out for you. You have to trust that. I think that takes faith. That's what takes faith, is to say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. I mean, my intentions were good. We were doing the right thing. Why has this bad thing happened? And then to say, this is the good that God has for me. And just trust that and hold on to that. That's the bottom line. I, I don't, as, as, as a reader of scripture, been a Christian for many, many years, the bottom line is that, that he is working out the good for you. Hold on to that, because that's what makes sense of plan B's, that he's still working out the good for you. So I find even this instance where Paul has been prevented by the Holy Spirit from going somewhere where he thought he should go, even that... Um, is God's will and is good and is the good that God is working out for him and for all the others who would uh, hear the gospel because he didn't go to Asia. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It makes so much sense and is so above and beyond what we can imagine. It is incredible. The wisdom is beyond human wisdom. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us and you're working out the good for us. And I just pray that you would help us as we are confronted with plan Bs in our lives, that we would not rush to condemn ourselves or to do some kind of intense investigation as to why this would happen, but to simply accept that this could be the will, that the good thing that you're working out for us, and just to hold on to that truth. I thank you for Joseph and how he just held on to that truth that God was with him that God was with him. Even though all that bad stuff happened to him, God was with him. 
And so, Lord, we just pray that we would have that perspective this day. And now as we go downstairs to fellowship together, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless the food that we're going to have together. May it strengthen us that we could be used for your service. And we pray, Lord, for safety on the roads today um, as we head out and uh, into the, the next 24 hours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Let's, let's have something to eat.